Hello! Before today's episode, a few points. Folks who have been listening for a while may notice that links that have been previously missing in episode descriptions have reappeared. It turns out, embedded links don't always transfer across platforms. Everyone should now have ready access to our email and our interview intake form. Please give us a shout at our email or sign up on the form to share your story of the supernatural. Also, if you have a friend who might like to hear these stories, give us a share. I also want to let folks know I'll be taking about a four-week hiatus for the holidays. I hope to be back in the new year with peeks into the lives of new people with new stories. Now, in today's episode, Colin Wildridge discusses an early experience with a land-based entity and how it impacted their spiritual and sexual identity. I'm Tim Mullen, and this is Your Haunted Life. Today's guest is Colin Wildridge. Colin, could you tell us a little about yourself? I am a human from upstate New York in the United States, or what we call the United States. It's, you know, stolen land and all that. Um, my profession in, like, the, 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 the secular world is, is I work in housing justice NGOs. I am, in a more spiritual, personal way, a dungeon master, which is always fun. And I am a newly minted druid. It's an interesting experience and just a magical faith um, practitioner in general. I do a podcast with one of our mutual friends, which I will plug at the end. So stay tuned for that. Uh, And my experiences with the paranormal are of the like, I contextualize the paranormal within a religious spiritual context pretty firmly, which I'm sure we will talk about uh, my pronouns are Fay Fay's fair or he him his. I prefer the Fay ones, but like he him his is also acceptable. Doesn't hurt my feelings. So, um, and I identify as gender queer. Sure, why not? Is the story you have for us um, one of a kind for you? Is it kind of a common occurrence for you? Somewhere in the middle. Um. Yes and no. The intensity of the story is uncommon for sure. The like interaction with non-human entities, far less so, more and more going forward. So, I mean, it's also connected to sort of my, my, the roots of my spiritual beginning, like the path that I've chosen now. So in some ways, it's kind of a, a real starting point for me in certain parts of my beliefs. Gotcha. Why don't you tell us a little more about that? What, you know, what's the experience? Okay, so I was, oh goodness gracious, uh, 20, I think, 2021. Um, I was still going to school for my undergraduate degree in anthropology and archaeology at Stony Brook, which is on Long Island. And so there, I had moved into a part, an apartment with a couple of friends, two of whom were the ones who sort of kicked me into the world of like magic with a K and sort of the, the, the pagan experience. Um, so I was learning from them and we had a Ouija board, which was a hell of a lot of fun. Um, and I, I believe that Ouija boards are kind of like supernatural cell phones. Like you dial up a number and have a conversation and just, you know, if you don't want it to get awkward, you just like end the call, but there's no like big dangers from it. But we contact got contacted by 
an entity, which for lack of a better term, I'm going to call an elemental. Probably if I was to meet it again, I could get more specific. We thought an elemental, but it could have been um, something else, deeper, older, more native to the land. But there's this huge drainage ditch, like, like enormous, that they had pulled out earth from. So it's just these giant, this giant dive down. And it was an entity that was connected to the earth there, like a very particular rock formation, especially, that was really pissed to have been uncovered. Um, and so was just seemed to be appreciative that it was being acknowledged and respected for what it was. And I foolishly, being so new that I was, said that it was welcome to stay if it would like, you know, just to know that it was welcome. It then, it was a little rude. It would show up when it wasn't invited and it would hover over one of my friend's beds, probably because she's kind of like a energy, she's a generator. She just like throws energy out there. And so it's probably just like liked it, but it was making it hard for her to sleep. So they, my friends kind of confronted me and were like, yo, we know you didn't mean to, but you invited this. You're going to have to tell it go away, please. And I was like, yeah, that's fair. So I went out to the gorge thing and I brought some offerings of fruit and I put them on a rock and I was like, okay, I'm really sorry. Um, this is the rules that have to be the rules. Like we told you kind of what the expectations were. So we like have to say bye. And I just kind of listened, trying to feel out, is anything going to respond? And off of the top of this like flat rock, the orange that I offered just like got slapped to the side with enough force to like go flying without like wind or any shift in the rock or whatever. So I was like, okay, someone's in a bad mood. I'm going to say bye now. Sorry, left. And that night while I was washing the dishes, we had these shelves above the sink where we had all like canned goods, like beans and tomatoes and all this. And as I was watching, like I heard a little noise. So I looked up and all the cans from one side of the shelf slammed into the wall on the other side of the shelf with enough force for everyone else in the apartment to like come running and be like, what was that? And I explained it. And some people were skeptical. They thought like the shelf shifted. The people who I was doing the work with were like, oh yeah, okay, hissy fit, gotcha. So after that, no problems. It was, we really kind of diagnosed it as like, yep, someone was mad and got their anger out and we're done. But it did kind of cement to me that, okay, so these things that I'm like getting introduced to and that I am starting to believe in, like it's real. I'm not asking other people to believe it, but I truly honestly believe that it is real. Right. So that was a big moment of like, okay, this makes sense. And not only does it make sense, like it is real. At least it's real for me. Gotcha. Thank you. Is there cultural or religious context at the time that kind of helped you make sense of that? I know you kind of said you were living with friends who might have maybe contributed yes. to that. So at the time I was getting into like paganism. So the like polytheistic and magical faiths that sort of embrace the idea of many different non-human beings that just naturally inhabit the world. So for me, it was like a confirmation of these beings exist and I interact with them. And therefore I need to like learn what I can learn about this. Looking back on it, my view was not as refined as it is now. I've studied so much since then and done so much work since then 
that now I would say, you know, I would approach it very differently. But back then it was really just like, I'm starting to get into this idea that there are many gods and there are many creatures and there are many spiritual entities and all these things that exist. This is just a weird, unique thing. Now it's a little bit more mundane and I would, I would have approached it more with like a, is this what I think it is? Or is this something else? Because I, now I'm thinking it could have been an elemental. It could have been a spirit or a deity that had been living there for a very, very long time. And we shouldn't have been playing around with so cavalierly because it could have been connected to people who had lived there long before we did. So in a way, I would say that it is entirely like a spiritual and religious context. Because for me, the paranormal and the supernatural exist within that context. So I wouldn't even call them that. I would call them natural, nature, magical. So a little bit about kind of the change in perspective you talked about. Are you kind of saying you would have been more interrogative at the beginning or like it never would have happened in the first place? No, I think I would have, it would have been, I would have been more careful and respectful about how I went about it because that, that interaction was one that was like consensual. It wanted to communicate with us because it could have just said no. But also there, I think there's some level of, if it was a being that had been, that was native to that land and just, you know, had a connection to cultures that were displaced, I would have been more, I would have set more boundaries because it's not my place to interact in that way. It's a little bit difficult. Um, I think that situation was unique to where I was at the time because nowadays I know when to back off and I know when to move forward with much more certainty. Like back then I was just excited to do anything. And now I know what I can and can't do. So (laughs) maybe it wouldn't have happened or maybe it would have happened differently. That I can't, I can't say. Uh, But I definitely think it was a, it was a profound moment for me. So you've talked a little bit about you know, that kind of helped launch you onto a spiritual path. Uh, where has that taken you? What, what meaning has this contributed to your life? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I had, I had been starting down the trail, but this sort of cemented for me that I was kind of, it was, it was worthwhile to pursue, that it existed and it was there for me to explore. So from there, I've really developed um, my way from going from what I would call sort of a introductory pagan perspective um, to a much more culturally specific spiritual practice. So back then I was just starting to work with deities and concepts, mostly derived really heavily from like Wiccan practice to a degree. And since then I have really developed, like I have a very specific cultural Gaelic context to what I do with the universalist idea. I believe all deities and spirits and such exist. I just don't, they don't all speak to me and I don't, it's not really my place to speak to all of them. So I've, like I said, I've kind of started this druidic path separate from like organized druidry. I have 
spirited disagreements with how they operate. Okay. Mine is more around about this sort of path of cultural heritage reclamation. So especially for white folks in the United States, a lot of that situation is giving up heritage. And so my path is the magic of reclaiming it, rebuilding, not rebuilding it because it can't be rebuilt per se, but finding that path and making a future for it. And I, I, I really center myself in that context less that I was probably more universal back in the day. But since then, it's really been my life's goal to continue doing this work and building a new culture and finding what fulfills me and the roles that fulfill me. I, I have to admit, I have always had sort of a spiritual calling to some sort of faith leadership back when I was like, when I, I was raised Catholic. So I thought it was priesthood, right. but since then I've kind of realized it's a more communal magical place. It's, it's, I can't quite say what that looks like now or in the future because some of what makes it so intriguing, so worthwhile and so powerful is the uncertainty and the fluidity of the practice and the, and the, the, the approach. But generally the way I would characterize it is like the crone path that Ian and I have created, Ian being um, for your listeners, Ian being a mutual friend of ours who also practices in a similar tradition to myself. We're kind of partners in that endeavor. I would also say that it's, it's deeply influenced. Like my queer identity has, was also developing strongly at that time. And it's kind of tied the two together. So both my like queerness and my spirituality are knotted up in ways that I don't think I would ever intend to unknot them. So that's kind of, I hope I answered the question. <laughs> I think you did. Um, I, I think that's a lot of really good context. I don't want to get into necessarily like a topic that you have built an entire podcast around. <laughs> um, <laughs> could you talk a little bit about that intertwining of a queer identity with your spirituality? Uh, sure. So for me, it's, it's the idea that, so I'll preface this with like, just so, you know, if you're all listening to the podcast, you're listening to it for the spooky scaries, um, probably. I don't really believe in ghosts in the traditional, like how America generally portrays ghosts. Um, I believe that most spiritual entities are not ghosts. Like most, most hauntings, I think, are either rational things like decay, psychology, etc., or they're fair folk or natural beings that are not human that live in places. And some of them like actively make it their, like it's fucking with humans is fun for them, especially humans who just kind of come in, bop around and, and like, like if someone waltzed through your living room and you had the capacity to be invisible and fuck with them, I can't say that like I wouldn't. So that's fair. <laughs> especially like, and, and this is not shade on someone who you've lovely interviewed who is a ghost hunter. Um, but like, especially the ghost hunters, probably she does not, who are like antagonistic just to get a reaction. I like, I've watched those ghost hunting shows and been like, you deserve to be punched in your fucking face. 
<laughs> you do not walk into someone's house and insult them. No, bad. But I also, I also don't think of it as being scientific. I think it's impossible to quantify the spiritual and trying to approach it from science for me at least is futile and kind of like blinds is blinding to the purpose. So for me, queerness and spirituality and like the things we're talking about, the paranormal, all intertwine because they're the sort of unquantifiable, almost subversive element that's all really, I think, built on finding a really powerful identity. And some of that for me is the fluidity of it that my views are and, and spirituality are constantly evolving and my identity evolves with it. And that in some ways that's a very human experience. And in some ways it's an experience that's more like the entities that I've encountered that are not human, like gods and the fair folk, which often called fairies, but that's kind of in my tradition seen as like impolite, not rude, but just impolite, inaccurate. So I think for me, it's that my, what I view as my identity and my soul is intensely queer because there's not a word in society that makes, that gets even close. But even there, my work in terms of magic is so rooted in the past and so forward looking also that like it's drawing from a tradition, from traditions where queerness didn't exist because what we define as queerness was mundane and looking towards a future where queerness doesn't exist because the same. Right. And that mundanity is magical. Like we have, Ian and I have a saying that like mediocre is the best. You should aim to be like, wouldn't we all just want to be mediocre? Because that means there's no the best and there's no the worst. There's right. just mediocre. You, you get your choice. You can choose a favorite cryptid or like a favorite movie creature or ghost. Uh, two clarifying questions. Sure. One is, um, so if we're talking like movies or ghost, is this like something like from mythology or does it have to come from a movie? It's open to interpretation. Okay, then that, that makes, okay, that makes my life easier. I'm going to push the, with, with movie monsters and ghosts, I'm always super excited about the Banshee and partly because I constantly hope in my heart that they'll get it right and they never do. Okay. So like it's a super popular thing to include in whatever because it's super visible like most people get it like oh shrieking lady ghost got it which is not correct but I'm always like I'm always excited when something from like Ireland Scotland shows up and she's just the most common um, besides like maybe leprechauns, which are also wrong, but more wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I feel like I may have imagined it, but I feel like a banshee showed up in Buffy too and they got it wrong, which was very disappointing because Buffy's usually relatively on point. I'm going to relatively Google furiously after I hang up with you and then probably put a disclaimer <laughs> on the beginning of this. I don't remember one. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. I may have, I mean, I may have entirely imagined it. So the Banshee is like literally, like ever in English, it's spelled B-A-N-S-H-E-E. -E. Mm -hmm. In Gaelic, it's two words, right. B-E-A-N 
S-I-D-H-E. And literally it means Ban is woman and she is fair folk. So woman of the fair folk. And she's really interesting because she's seen as a sort of malevolent entity, this screeching, where actually she's, she's not. She's a fore, she forewarns death. And while the shrieking thing has been really central, it misses the point of like, there's an old tradition of keening. So mourning someone's death in a very obvious way. So she's keening. And some say that it's, it's connected to an Irish identity in general, but more often than not, it's connected to specific families. And what I find super interesting about that is it's contextualized nowadays as being connected to what's called the old Gaelic families, like the nobility of, of the time, separate from like the people who intermarried with the Norman invaders, like the, the people who would become the English who were the colonial oppressors of the Irish. But part of it is more about, I think, from what I've read about the ancient mythology of these noble families who claim descent from the pre-Christian gods. And that's their ancestor who's come from the other world to mourn for their death and to bring them home. So for me, it's a very hopeful figure, like someone who cares. It's, um, I think a lot of, I think the word is psychopomp. I think a lot yes. of um, death guides get maligned, specifically in Western culture. Um, and I, I think that's a very common narrative that there's a lot that are very benign and get twisted. There's a lot of layers to that too. Like for example, there's the fear of death and, and mortality, of course. I mean, I think most people are not super down to die. Your level of comfort with it is your business. There's also like the competing, there's a societal thing, at least I feel coming from where I come from of like death kind of translates as uselessness. There's like this existential fear of not being able to do things anymore. So experiencing pleasure, but also just like the bred in need of capitalism for you to do labor and death is the ultimate end of labor That's in some ways. There's also the idea that I think that they were maligned purposely because they are a very obvious alternative to the heaven hell model. They are taking, they are taking you somewhere else. So in the case of the Banshee, that could mean like the other world, the ancestors. It's, uh, it depends on what you believe in. But I really like that idea of someone who's part of your family that cares enough to mourn for you and come back for you. I can't claim any con connection to the Banshee. I have some Irish ancestry, but very little and probably very peasanty. Right. Um, and I'm more Scottish than anything else. So there's that. But I... I I find her to be fascinating and psychopomps, like you say, in particular, and just how profoundly badly she's represented, which I mean, can go for a lot of creatures, but it's always kind of an artful, like I always find art in misrepresented like movie monsters because yeah. back in the day, a little bit less so, there's more like the common custom thing, but nowadays it's almost like, I'm not asking you to do like academic research. And this is a slightly different situation than like telling someone to like educate themselves about like societal issues. This is literally like a 10 minute Google search. Yes, it is. Because it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's not like you're going to find necessarily like the worst information. Like I always like, I'm like, I don't tell people generally who don't know to like Google queer things. And like, you could find something like really wrong and damaging yes, when it comes to like 
the banshee or a vampire or something like this is enjoyable research like go in immerse yourself in it and look like where does it come from what does that say it do you know if you have conflicting information there doesn't have to be a right answer which is not always the case exactly and so i watch it and on the one hand i'm slightly offended I can't be too offended because my research, my understandings of things is always developing. I'm always researching. But there's also some sort of like artfulness to the ignorance that I'm like, not only did you not look, you don't care you didn't look. And it shows. And I kind of am impressed by the chutzpah. I have seen some, I think calling it appropriation is fair. Um, I have seen some appropriations that were used in an artful way to tell an interesting story. Did you have to call it that? Maybe not. Let me take this opportunity to say thank you so much, Colin, for coming and talking with us. Do you have anything you'd like to plug on your way out? Oh, absolutely. So I am one of the co-hosts of the Crone's Porch podcast with my friend Ian. Um, We are a magical faith podcast that focuses on the sort of cranky, queer cultural heritage approach that we take to our magic. We used to call ourselves a pagan podcast, but we have since sort of abandoned the label of pagan in, in our lives. Um, you may still find us under that category. We're on Spotify, Apple podcast, Anchor FM. And we, re- episode description. We, we release episodes. We have a monthly regular episode and then we have um, holiday specials and um, sometimes some bonus episodes that we put up. Generally, we post every two to three weeks. Okay. Um, there is quite a, we have quite a few episodes already out, so if you want to catch up, that's great. Um, we are a little bit more off the cuff and like religiously driven than this podcast. This podcast is a little bit more narrative driven. But if you'd like to know more about us and get to know who we are and and what we what we're thinking about. We would love to have you over on the Crone's porch. It's a good time. We have a lot of fun and we hope to see you there. Helen, thank you again so much for coming. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Mm-hmm.